All right. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hardball Real Estate with JK, helping you hit home runs in your real estate business. All right. Today, we are going to be covering a topic. And as crucial as the other topics are that we've covered so far, this one by far I consider to be the biggest, the most important, the key critical. Frankly, it really is going to make or break you in this business. It really is. And that is the concept of the power team. I refer to it as the power team. What do we mean by that? Who is your power team? How do you screen them? What's the importance of the power team? And how do you manage them? That's what we're going to be covering today, tonight, wherever you are. (laughs) Um, Just understand something, and, and you've probably picked up on this already if you've listened to any of my previous episodes. I am a big believer of the, the concept and the idea that you should be the CEO of your business. See, I don't swing hammers. I don't manage tenants. I don't do any of that stuff. You know why? For you to take on that type of work, I mean, let's, let, let's just say it like it is. All you're really doing is you're just taking on another job. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to make even more work for yourself? See, think about, the, think about it this way, right? Think about the top companies in the world. Heck, think about the top companies in the U.S., okay? Name one. I, I don't care, okay? And think about this for a second. The CEO of that company, whatever company you have in your mind, right? The CEO of that company, could you actually envision that individual down in the mailroom sorting mail? (laughs) No. Could you envision that person in one of the bullpens or sales floors or whatever on the phones selling whatever product they have? No, of course not, right? What is their job? What is their role? Their role is to bring in key people into their company to do that work while they oversee operations. That's exactly what CEOs do, right? Among other things, of course. So you're going to do the same thing. See, understand this. If you are looking to build this thing to scale, and frankly, you're looking to make extra money without putting in a whole bunch of extra time, without creating another job for yourself, well, you, you can't do everything yourself. That's just, that's just foolish. I'll just say it like it is. Remember, hardball real estate. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. That's foolish. And I know people who do this. I know people who go, when they do a fix and flip, they do all the work themselves. They're spending nights and weekends around their regular job doing all this. Why? Because they think they're saving money. Or even worse, they've got that old school mentality of if you want something done right, you gotta do it. And all of you out there collectively just answered my question yourself, (laughs) right? And so here's the thing first of all, you're not saving money by not hiring it out. 
you're actually costing yourself money. You're actually, you're actually, a, you, I mean, that's the best way to put it. You're, you're costing yourself money, right? And I'll get to that in just a second. Second thing is you're costing yourself a life, time. See, I don't know about you. The reason why I became a real estate investor, an entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, right? The reason why I became a real estate investor is because I wanted to create more time Okay, more time. And the way to do that is to create more money, right? See, most people, we all know what they do. Most people, they go and do their job. They're a 40, 50, 60 hour a week job for, let's face it, most of the time, it's not the money we want to be making. And I mean, you're really just, you're, you're trading your time for dollars. And what life do you have at the end of all that, right? So that's why most people get into entrepreneurship, I mean, there's other reasons too, but I'm just going to say the main, for most people, the main reason is, to, is, is for that, to create more time and more freedom. Let's just say like it is, financial freedom, right? Well, how much freedom are you creating for yourself if you're the one banging on nails, swinging hammers, dealing with tenants, doing all the grunt work of, of real estate investing, right? I don't know about you. Here's the thing. I strive. I strive to be a lazy investor. I am a lazy investor and I am proud of it. <laughs> I'll give you an example. I just made 20 grand today and it took me all of about an hour to do it. No joke, no exaggeration. It took me all of about an hour to make 20 grand. What did I do? I wholesaled two properties. Now, I will in future episodes, in, in the not too distant future, actually, I'm going to be talking about wholesaling as one of the strategies that you should be doing as part of this business. And I'm going to go through how to do it and all that good stuff, right? Bottom line is, all I did is I have a couple of people who are buyers. I matched them up with a couple of contacts that I have who had deals to sell. I literally just played the middleman. I made a few phone calls, a few text messages, boom, done. Okay. How much work did I do? Well, like I said, I spent a grand total of about an hour to put it together. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I mean. Now, at the same time, I've got a fix and flip deal that I just closed on in Indianapolis. Purchase price, 70 grand, rehab, 80,000, right? So purchase and rehab, 150 grand. And I'm going to sell that bad boy for about 230, yeah, say 225, 230. Not a bad little deal, right? Guess what? How much time have I spent on it? I've spent a grand total, if I add up all the phone calls, emails, all that good stuff, maybe so far, maybe a couple hours, right? And I'm looking at a gross profit of how much, okay? You know, 150 into two, let's just say 220. I know I'm going to sell it for 230, but let's just go conservative, right? So 150 to 220 is how much? 70,000 gross profit. Yes, there's closing costs. Yes, there's commissions, all that good stuff. Okay. Still, <laughs> that's not bad for a couple hours worth of work. Now, 
the rehab's going to get started on, I'm going to get the rehab going on it this next week, right? So how much work am I going to be doing? How much time am I going to be spending banging on nails? Zero. See, that's what a contractor's for, right? Now, remember, on top of everything else, I live here in San Diego, California. My deal is... Uh, roughly about 2,000 miles away. Indianapolis is around 2,000 miles away, right? Okay, I know I've flown there several times for business. However, guess how many times I'm going to fly there for this project? Zero. Okay, that's my point. So how is it that I'm able to do a fix and flip, make $70,000 gross profit, right? While sitting here in my home office in San Diego and the property is 2,000 miles away. And how much time will I spend on this project by the time it's fixed up, ready to sell, I sell it and I make my profit on the flip, right? How much time will I spend on this? Eh, my estimate, again, adding up all the phone calls, emails, text messages, whatever, Oh, my, my estimate will be, I'm estimating probably, what, 10 hours, 5 to 10 hours max? Okay, you break that down, okay? Most people work per hour, right? Even if you're salaried, mostly, even if you're in a salaried position, most people will figure out what they're making per hour, right? We all do it. I did it when I had a job. We all do it, okay? Now, let's, let's break this down. How much per hour am I making if it takes me 10 hours to make, oh, let's just say $50,000 net, right? How much is that per hour? And how much effort and, and actual physical labor am I doing to make that happen? That's the point, right? And that also speaks to why a few minutes ago, I was talking about the fact that, you know what? You think you're saving yourself money by doing the work yourself. You're really costing yourself money. You really are. See, for the, all the time that you're spending fixing the house, managing the tenants, doing all this other kind of stuff, what could you be doing with that time? Right. You could be doing another deal, if you're only having to spend five to 10 hours per project, that's not per week, that's not per month, that's not per day, that's per project, spread out over anywhere from two to four months, okay? If, th if that's all you're spending, what does that mean? It means you've got plenty of time to do a second deal, to do a third deal, to do a fourth deal. How many deals can you realistically do, most of you, now, I'm not talking, there's always exceptions. There's a few of you out there who can do better, right? Um, I've, come, I've, I've mentored and trained and coached students who had their own construction companies. Okay, you're the exception to the rule. For most of us, though, right, who aren't already in construction, how many projects realistically can you do at any given time? For most people, I'm going to say one maybe two if you're ambitious, right? Well, while you're working on that one or two, I can be doing five, six, seven. I mean, my record was I had 12 going at one time, okay? 
what would you rather have going on from a financial standpoint? One deal at a time or five, six, seven plus deals at a time? That's my point. Okay. So the key to making this all work is your power team. Uh, Not to mention the fact that, again, I'm a big proponent that, you know, maybe you can invest in your backyard. Maybe there's just better deals elsewhere. So I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of invest where it's smart. Invest where it's smart. Live where you want. Invest where it's smart, right? It might work to invest in your backyard or there just might be better deals outside your backyard, outside the state. So does that mean you can't do it? No, it just means, again, you must have the team. All right. So I think I have stressed that enough why the power team is crucial. Crucial. So let's talk about the next step. Who is your power team? After that, we're going to talk about how to screen the power team After that, we're going to talk about how to manage the power team. And then finally, we're going to talk about how to find the power team, right? Okay, from soup to nuts, let's let's jump in. Let's go, right? So who is your power team? Well, I'm going to name the core power team. Now, over time, you're going to have a network of people you're working with. No doubt about it. And again, that also depends on how big you want to build this business. For some of you, you're like, look, man, if I can just do a couple extra deals or a couple deals a year, two, three, four deals a year, make a few extra bucks while I keep my job, I'm just supplementing my income. Great. Fantastic. Do it. Some of you are like me. And once you turn that first 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, $100,000 check or more, you're going to get that. You're, you're going you're gonna to like the way that tastes. <laughs> you're going to like, it's going to taste good. It's going to feel good. And you're going to be like, man, I want more of that. And I want it in a big way, right? So some of you are going to want to build this to scale. <clears throat> Regardless, you're going to have your core team that you're working with day in and day out, okay? Number one on that team, get your, uh, get your notes ready, get your pen ready, get some paper ready, because here we go. Number one on that team is your realtor, write down realtor slash wholesaler, okay? Your realtor slash wholesalers. So your realtors and your wholesalers, let's put it that way. Okay? Your realtors and wholesalers are going to be your, you know, I I refer to them as my acquisitions team, okay? Now, down the road, I'm going to be teaching on marketing strategies to find motivated sellers, right? To find, you know, deals. Granted, I'm going to tell you, though, a big way that I find deals, in addition to marketing and going after my own uh, leads is I rely heavily on my realtors and wholesalers. Again, in addition to my own marketing. Why? Because again, I'm a lazy investor. If I can find people to go out and find the deals for me, why wouldn't I do that? Right? It just makes sense. So, realtors, wholesalers. Now, 
What are we looking for in our realtors wholesalers? Let's talk about realtors first. With realtors, number one, we want to make sure they have been in the business full time for 10 years minimum. Minimum 10 years full time. Okay? Now, why do I say that? Well, I'm looking for someone who's established. I'm looking for someone who's been around for a while. I'm looking for someone who is a producer, who's someone who's actively and successfully active in the business. And I'm going to tell you that most would-be realtors don't last more than a year or two. I'm going to tell you that right now. And it's not just me. Don't, don't take my word for it. Look up the statistics. Most realtors do not last more than a year or two. Or I should, again, I'll say would-be realtors. Why? Because most would-be realtors don't realize that they're not taking on a job. Being a successful realtor means building a business. It is a business. It is not a job. Just because you work for a broker, that is not the same as having a job where everything is pretty much established and set up for you, including your income. Nope. Realtors are 100% commission-based. You don't close a deal or a realtor doesn't close a deal, you don't make money, right? So most people don't get that and they don't get what it takes and they're not willing to do it. Let's just say it like it is. They're not willing to do what it takes and so they fizzle out. So someone who's been around for 10 years full-time, that tells me that they're, at the very least, they're established. Now, it doesn't guarantee they're any good or that they're a good fit for you necessarily. We'll get to that in just a moment. However, what it does mean is that they are established, okay? So that takes us to number two. Number two is they must be an investor themselves. Let me say that again. They must be an investor themselves, now, I can already hear it because every time I do my, one of my workshops, seminars, or I'm working with one of my coaching students, I hear it so many times. Jay, 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 why would I want a realtor who's also an investor? Isn't that competition? Wouldn't, wouldn't that mean that they're taking all the deals? <laughs> okay, <clears throat> first of all, there are so many deals out there. I don't care who you are. Okay, there, there's, there's no one person can take all the deals. Nobody out there, and I don't care, name whoever you want to name, nobody out there has unlimited funds, right? There's only so much that people can do. So there is no concern about them taking all the deals. That's just not happening. And think about it from a common sense standpoint. If they were really just there... If, if their only intention was to just do the, all the deals themselves, then why would they be a realtor? Think about that. I mean, I'm licensed here. I'm a licensed uh, agent here in California. I don't use it. I'm not a realtor. I don't pay for the, all the things you got to pay for, the dues and all that kind of nonsense to be a realtor. I'm not a realtor, Okay. I'm an investor. Why? Because I would much rather make the money myself, right? Doing the flip or doing a rental or whatever it is I'm doing rather than making a small little commission off of making someone else rich. And if you look at the numbers, that's exactly what it is. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing realtors. 
they're a huge part of my team, right? I'm just saying for me, I figured out a long time ago, I'd rather make the majority of the money rather than just the commission off that money. Okay, so someone who's a realtor and an investor, what that tells me is that they're, you know, they're good, they're doing some deals themselves, and they're probably selling most of them. You know, they're probably working the realtor business and then doing some stuff on the side. So there's no shortage of deals. That's not an issue. Now, why do I want them to be an investor? Because I want I only work with realtors who understand real estate investing. Because I'm going to tell you, about 90 to 95% of realtors out there have no understanding of real estate investing. They have no clue, okay? They are trained, and I know this, because again, I was a realtor back in the day, and I, I am still licensed. I've taken all the different classes and trainings, and I've sat in on the meetings and blah, 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 right? And I'm going to tell you, so I know, okay, realtors, most realtors and most brokerages are not trained to work with investors. They're trained to work with homeowners, that, I mean, two completely different ball games. It just is, right? So I want somebody who understands real estate investing, who understands what I'm trying to do, period. All right. Next question, once they've gotten past the, am I an investor myself, right? If they are, then I want to know what their specialty is. I want to know what their niche is. And I want to make sure that it fits with mine, what I'm looking to accomplish. See, what I've learned over the years is that realtors who, who, are, an investor, who are investors and work with investors, they tend to develop a niche. They tend to develop something that an area of specialty, if you will, right? And so I just want to make sure it fits with what I'm looking to do, okay? Um, for example, I work with a, a, well, he's a broker now. Uh, he's a real estate broker. He's based out of Kansas City, Missouri, right? And his niche is that he's an all-in-one. He's an all-in-one stop shop for investors. That's what he specializes in. He only works with investors, okay? I've got another guy in Indianapolis, same thing. All he does is work with investors, what does he do? Well, he's got access to contractors. He's got a, he does the property management himself. Okay, this is the guy in Indianapolis. Uh, the the guy in Kansas City, Missouri, same thing. He's, he has access to contractors. He has access to hard money. His wife runs the property management company. I mean, bottom line is whatever you need as an investor, he's got it. He's got it. Okay. Now, that niche fits really well with, what, with me. I like that niche. It works well because I like the fact that I have one point of contact. That's it. Okay? So, final question for the realtor. If we do business together, can you refer me to other parts of this team? Which I'm going to get to in just a few moments. If they work with investors right? And if they work with investors and they're an investor themselves, they should have access to the same team that you're looking to build and they should be willing to refer them out. All right. 
That brings us to wholesalers. Now, wholesalers are different than realtors in the sense that, generally speaking, wholesalers are not licensed, okay? And these properties are not on the MLS. With realtors, these properties, a lot of times, these properties are coming off the MLS, which means that they're actually listed. With wholesalers, most of the time, the properties are what's called off-market. They're called off-market or referred to as off-market deals, meaning they're not on the MLS. They're not listed. They're not officially for sale, okay? Now, with realtors, again, most of the time, that's not the case. So I'm going to tell you that I work with, if you want to put a ratio to it, I work for most of my deals that I don't get myself, okay, that I get from my acquisitions team, about 90% of them come from my wholesalers, okay? Only about 10% of my deals come from realtors. Why? Because most of the time, by the time a property hits the MLS, if it's a good deal, there's going to be multiple offers on it. It's going to get overbid. It's just, it, it's just too much competition, right? So about 90% of my deals come off market from my wholesalers, All right. Off-market, again, just simply means it's not listed. So these wholesalers have their own marketing strategies. They find private sellers. They find sellers direct. They put them under contract, and then they basically just sell the contract. They wholesale the property. Again, in a future episode in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to be going over this strategy so you can become a wholesaler yourself if that's what you choose to be. Not a bad gig. Not, I mean, it's not the only thing that you should be doing, right? I mean, I wholesaled two properties today and made 20 grand. I mean, I'll cash in next week, okay? Next Wednesday or Thursday is when I'll get my checks, okay? I consummated the deals today, okay? I inked the deals, if you will, <laughs> all right? Uh, and I'll cash in next week. Not bad, Okay. Now, with that being said, I'm not just a wholesaler. I do fix and flips. I do rentals. I do commercial. I do multifamily, right? It's all about dovetailing your business, which I talked about in an earlier episode. Okay. Multiple sources of income. All right. Now, getting back to this. So these wholesalers, they have a marketing strategy. They go out and find these deals and then they sell the deals to you. Totally fine. They get, out, they get what's called a wholesale fee. I'm totally fine with paying someone a small fee to go find me the deals. Again, I'm a lazy investor, so I'm cool with that. Now, a couple things, a couple important things to note about wholesalers. They're going to require a deposit when they wholesale a property to you. I mean, and that's not diff- that's really no different than when you buy a property through a realtor. It's called an earnest money deposit. You have to pay it. That's just part of the game, right? Now, the thing you need to know, the thing you need to know is that a lot of wholesalers are going to make that deposit non-refundable. Non-refundable. So in other words, in order for you to put that thing under contract with that wholesaler, you're going to have to put up a deposit that's non-refundable. This is slightly different than most realtor deals, which are refundable up until a certain point. 
Okay, usually the earnest money deposit when you're dealing with a realtor, you'll have anywhere from five, you know, on average, five to seven, five to 10 days to make up your final decision whether or not you're going to take the deal or not. Okay, and then if you don't, you get your earnest money deposit back. Not so with a lot of wholesalers. A lot of wholesalers, once you put that deposit up, man, you're either closing on it or you're losing that deposit. That's just how it is. So does that mean you can't do the deal? No, it just means you have to do your due diligence ahead of time. And again, doing performing due diligence, I will be covering, the, covering that in the not-too-distant future. Man, I've got so much to cover with you over the upcoming weeks, months, and years. There's so much to learn, right? So hang tight. It's all coming. And there's going to be a percentage of you um, that are going to choose to work with me on a much deeper level, hands-on, and you know what? We'll be going through this step-by-step. No problem, okay? So just know, with wholesalers, oftentimes non-refundable. The other thing you need to know about wholesalers is that they tend to fudge the numbers a bit. And that's a nice way of putting it, meaning they tend to overinflate the ARV, underinflate the rehab bid, right? And why are they doing that? Simple. I mean, it's, it's pretty common sense. They're doing it to sell the property. So what I'm going to tell you is this. Any deal that anybody brings you, okay, no matter who brings you the deal, I don't care if it's your mother, I don't care if it's your best friend, I don't care if it's me, and I do that with my students. I, I offer deals. I, I'll do that for you on this podcast. You're looking for deals, you're looking for funding for deals, talk to me. I got, I got access to both, right? I can help you. It doesn't matter who brings you the deal. It is your responsibility 1,000% to verify the information you've been given, to perform your due diligence to decide if you want the deal or not, okay? And I don't care who brings you the deal. Triple verify, triple verify, triple verify. And oh, by the way, triple verify the numbers, With that being said, this especially holds true with wholesalers, okay? With wholesalers, you need to verify the numbers before you move forward with the deal, all right? So that's number one on your team. Number two is home inspectors. I highly, highly, highly recommend highly recommend that you get a home inspection on every property you ever buy, okay? Don't ever buy a property without getting an inspection done, period, end of sentence. Get somebody in there who's going to verify or basically let you know what needs to be fixed on that property, that's just, it sounds like common sense, I know, and yet you'd be surprised at how many people skip this step. I'm telling you, getting a home inspection will save you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of your career. I, I will tell you right now that that is 1,000% the truth, okay? Now, the average home inspection is going to cost you between three and $500. Who cares? It's the cost of doing business, and frankly, 
as an investor, as I mentioned before, I've, I've mentioned this before, I'll mention it a million times. As an investor, we don't ask what something costs. We ask what is the investment and more importantly, what is the return on our investment? Well, if I'm investing $300, $500, even $600 in a home inspection, what's the return on my investment? I'll tell you what it is. It's the fact that it's going to save me tens of thousands of dollars, or again, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of my career. That's a pretty darn good investment. That's a pretty darn good return on my investment, I should say, right? That's how you need to be looking at this. And by the way, it's a tax write-off anyway, so I've been told. I'm not a CPA, I'm not an attorney, so therefore I cannot legally give you tax advice or legal advice. However, I can tell you that I write those, those expenses off on my taxes because that's a business expense as far as I'm concerned, right? <laughs> All right, so, so um, just be aware. Get a home inspection, period, end of sentence. Don't be cheap. Don't be tripping over dollars to be picking up pennies, right? So, what are we looking for with a property inspector? We're looking for someone who's done at least 100 home inspections. I'm sorry, back up. My mind went off to a different direction there for a second. That happens from time to time. <laughs> um, you're looking for someone who's done at least 500 inspections. So you're looking for a home inspector who's done at least 500 inspections in their career. You want someone with experience. It's that simple. <clears throat> okay? It's, it's really that simple. You want somebody with a construction background. Okay? You want somebody who knows construction. You'd be surprised. I mean, again, I know a lot of this sounds like common sense. You'd be surprised. The way it works in, uh, I'm going to say in most states, is you don't have to be licensed to be a home inspector. You need to be quote unquote certified. What does that mean to be certified? It means that you take the home inspection course. I know because I took the home inspection course for the state of Michigan. Long story, won't get into it now. <laughs> I took the home inspection course for kicks. And if I wanted to, I could have taken the test. And as long as I pass, I'm now a certified home inspector. Folks, I have zero background in construction. My background is in psychology and counseling. It has nothing to do with construction, rehabbing in any way, shape, or form. I have no clue how to fix a house. Do you really want someone like me inspecting your property, your investment? <clears throat> you laugh, but you know what's funny? And not funny, haha, like funny, like scary, <laughs> funny. Um, a lot, the way it works is there's a lot of home inspection franchises out there. And for a lot of home inspectors, it's a second, third, fourth, fifth career. In other words, they, they were doing something else for a living. They got tired of that. So they change careers. They go get their certification to be a home inspector. And then they buy into a franchise. I'm telling you, uh, case in point, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Uh, another market where I do deals in is Atlanta, Georgia, right? Atlanta. 
Well, I was there doing a mentorship. I was there doing an on-site mentorship with one of my students. My student was from, I want to, gosh, this was a couple years ago. My student was from North Carolina, and he wanted to learn and open up the Atlanta market. So he invested in me, invested in himself to have me come out and spend three days with him in the field, in the market, to essentially get him up and running and get deals in the pipeline, right? So we were at one of the properties that we had scoped out as a potential deal, and we met a potential home inspector there. We were, it was partially real, well, the main reason was to interview this home inspector to see if they'd be a good fit for our team. Well, after talking to the home inspector, guess what we find out? He was a former school teacher. Now understand, please understand, super nice guy. Super nice guy. There was nothing wrong with him. He's a great guy, right? And there's nothing wrong with being a school teacher, obviously. That's not my point. Okay, I'm not bashing or, or blasting school teachers, right? That's not the point. The point is, what does a school teacher have to do with fixing houses, with construction? Zero, right? So this guy goes from being a school teacher to being a home inspector. No, thank you. No, thank you. My home inspectors have construction backgrounds, period, end of sentence. It's that simple. Finally, last thing you want to ask of your potential home inspector. Now, keep in mind, when they go out and do a home inspection, what they're going to do is they're going to come back with a full report, a detailed report on everything that they found wrong with the house, and... It should be accompanied by dozens, if not hundreds, of pictures inside and out of the house, okay, or of the property. So, 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 what I ask of my inspectors is this, okay? While you're there, do me a favor, Mr. and Mrs. Home Inspector, right? Do me a favor and take a picture of the surrounding neighbor's houses, on all sides, across the street, behind, next door, all sides. I want pictures of the, uh, the neighbor's homes, right? And I want some streetscape shots. I want some streetscape shots. Now, what do I mean by streetscape shots? I literally, all I care about is that he goes, he or she, the home inspector, goes out in the middle of the street, and just take some shots to the left, take some shots to the right. I just want to get a feel for what the neighborhood looks like, right? And I want the surrounding neighbors. This especially is crucial when you're doing this from out of state. This is how I can determine whether or not, I, you know, part, this is part of the process, I should say, on whether or not I buy the house when I don't, you know, without getting on a plane and flying to that market. I'm not flying to Indianapolis, Kansas City, Missouri, Atlanta, uh, Cleveland, another one of my markets that I'm doing business in. I'm not flying to those cities every time I put a property under contract. My gosh, what a colossal waste of time and money, right? So this is one of the ways that I can avoid that. Now, why do I do that? Because again, I can get a feel for the neighborhood. If I see on the streetscape shot that half the houses have cars on blocks parked on the lawns with 10-foot-high lawns, 
Boy, that gives me a pretty good idea of what kind of neighborhood I'm in, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? Second thing, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Perfect. This is a real-life example. Again, I teach from the trenches, not from textbooks. I teach from my own experiences as well as the experience of my colleagues. This is real-world, real-deal stuff, right? Real-life stuff. No theory. Application. So I had a property that I put under contract, Single-family house, I was going to do a flip on it in Indianapolis. It's a neighborhood that I've done, at this point, I've done almost two dozen. I've done 22 fix and flips in that particular neighborhood in Indianapolis, okay? So I put this one under contract, and everything looked great until I got the pictures back. The numbers were good. I know the neighborhood. I actually had flipped two other houses on that same street. So I knew that area, right? I knew it was good. Then I get pictures back from the contractor, and, it, and when I looked at those pictures, guess what? Boom. Blew the deal. I canceled the deal. And it was funny because when he sent me the, the report and the pictures, he flat out told me, make sure you look at picture number, and I don't remember what the number was at this point, picture number 78, whatever. I'll just use a random number, right? He's like, make sure you check out that picture uh, as you're making your decision. So I did. Guess what I saw? And this one picture canceled the deal. I canceled the deal. Even though the numbers look good, everything else looked good. What did I see in that picture? What do you think? You're all scratching your head right now. I have no idea, Jay. (laughs) All right. So that picture, what that revealed was the next door neighbor's yard. And in that next door neighbor's yard, guess what was there? Three nasty, mean, vicious-looking pit bulls that were literally in the picture, like, snarling and barking. And, I mean, they look like freaking psycho demon dogs, right? That's the picture my home inspector took and showed to me. Why did that cause me to cancel the deal? Simple. Who wants psycho demon Cujo dogs living next to them? Nobody. Nobody does. And no matter how nice you make that house in the rehab, no matter how well you price it, you are going to have a heck of a time selling that house. Because what's going to happen is they're going to show up, like the buyers and the agents, whoever, they're going to show up to check out the house. And as they walk up to the front porch, they're going to see the freaking demon dogs next door. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to turn right around and go on to the next house. So I canceled the deal. And I told the seller why I canceled the deal. I told him, you got to do something about those dogs. Because you're going to have a heck of a time selling that property. Okay? That's why this is so important. Big time. That's just one example. All right? Number three, we talk about, or number three, contractors. Oh, boy, contractors. They are the lifeblood of your business. They are the lifeblood of your business. Okay? Contractors are huge. Oh boy, they're huge. So what are you looking for with your contractors? Number one, they must be licensed, bonded, insured. Licensed, bonded, insured, no exceptions. 
and they must be able to provide copies of the documentation, which should be super easy if they're professionals. It should be just sitting right there in their files, right? So licensed, bonded, insured, no exceptions. They must be full-time for at least five years. Full-time business for at least five years. Why? Simple. For the same reason as I gave for the realtors. I want somebody who is established, not fly-by-night. There's a lot of fly-by-night folks out there. And when it comes to contractors, man, you cannot afford to screw this one up. You just can't. This is where you will either make money or you will lose money. I'm telling you right now. I've seen it time and time again. So full-time five years, licensed, bonded, insured, get copies. Um, Number three, they must have a physical office space. Physical office space. And I do not mean their garage. Now, granted, if they're any good, that they, sh- they should be so busy that they're never in that office space. One of my contractors in Indianapolis, he's got an office space and it's right in downtown. He's never there. 90% of the office space is filled up with supplies and materials. He carved, you know, and what he's done is he's carved out a little corner in the back for his office where he does his paperwork. <laughs> Why? Because he's always out in the field. He's out in the field doing projects. That's fine. Again, um, it just just speaks to the professionalism of that company, that crew. Okay? Next question you need to ask is, do they specialize in fix and flips or rentals? So what's their specialty? Fix and flips or rentals? Okay? Okay? This is a big deal. This is a big deal because doing a rehab for a flip versus doing a rehab as a rental are two completely different ball games, completely different. And there are crews out there. So I, so let's put it this way. The crew that I hire, the crew that I use in Indianapolis or Cleveland, okay, those are my two main markets. I do Atlanta and Kansas City, Missouri, my two main markets that I do most of my business in is Indianapolis and Cleveland. Well, my, my crews that I work with for my rental properties, so in other words, when I do a rental, I have a specific crew that does my rentals. They rehab the property for my rentals. I have a specific crew to do my fix and flips, okay? And I do not mix the two. Why? Because it's a completely different set of skills, And I'm telling you from experience that if you have a crew that specializes in rentals and you try to have them do a fix and flip, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. They're not going to do a quality job that you need to sell that property quickly and vice versa. If their specialty is fix and flips like retail rehab, they're not going to even know how to do a rental rehab. Now, in a future episode, I'm going to go through rehabs. So hang tight. Okay, I'm going to be talking about rehabs. Just know that there is a significant difference, major difference between doing a rental and doing a flip. And you need to match the right crew for the right job. So just ask them, 
what's your area of specialty? What do you specialize in, rentals or flips? And I would be really skeptical if they say both. I really would, okay? And that brings us to the next question. I want to see current and past projects. What, how many projects are you working on right now? Do you have pictures of those current projects? Give me details of those current projects. Do you have the numbers that you can send over to me on these current projects? Can you send me the information and pictures on your last three projects that you did? Now, see, if they're professional, most of them are going to have a website at this point where all that information is on their website. But at the very least, they should be able to email information to you. Why? So you can see what kind of work they do before and after work. Are they staying within budget? Are they finishing within a reasonable amount of time? Are they affordable? I mean, are they reasonably priced? Okay. And then finally, the last question is, can you have three of your past clients call me as referrals so I can talk to them? Again, if they're legitimate, a good, solid, professional crew, none of these questions, none of these requests should be like, uh, it shouldn't be a big, they shouldn't be a big deal, right? They would, a good crew would expect this, okay? And then actually, let me throw one more in. I now talk about it in more detail in the rehab uh, episode or episodes. I'm probably going to spend two or three episodes on rehabbing. Um, they must be willing to sign a construction agreement. Okay? Do not let a contractor do any work on your property unless they are willing to sign a construction agreement between you and them. That is a deal-breaking, no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? No negotiation. I mean, they either do it or you move on to someone else. The construction agreement, again, if they're professional, they should already have a construction agreement that they use, and they should be more than willing to sign one. Why? Because a construction agreement is actually designed to protect both parties. So if they're hemming and hawing, if they're hesitating and they're saying, oh, we really don't want to do this, right? Well, that should be a huge red flag to you. That should be a major red flag. And to me, that's a deal breaker. Next, (laughs) next, on to the next, right? That's your contractors. Now, how do I set up, how do I structure that relationship? On that rehab crew, someone is going to serve as the project manager. And again, I'll get more into this in the rehab episode. They're the project manager, which means they go around to your projects. They're the ones that are driving up, checking on, you know, going on site, checking on the progress, the progress of your projects, uh, making sure everything stays on time, stays within budget, and they are the main point of contact for you. That is a huge time saver because otherwise you're going to be spending all day every day with the plumber, with the electrician, with the roofer, with the painter, with the framer, with the floor guy. Uh, You get my point, okay? I don't have the time nor the desire to be on the phone all day with these different people. I want one point of contact, the project manager. And the way I set it up is I have once a week calls with him or her to get updates. And again, we'll talk about this more at a later date, but just understand that's how I structure it. 
okay? That's your contractors. Now, that brings us to property managers. Now, obviously, you're only going to be using property managers if you're going to have rentals, which eventually you probably will. Most people do because that's how, as I explained in the exit strategies episode, okay, we you build your long-term wealth through rentals, okay? So I'm going to tell you right now, do not manage your own tenants. Do not manage tenants. Do not manage tenants. Do not do it yourself. Why? Because if you manage tenants, it's only a matter of time. (laughs) It's only a matter of time before you become a burned-out landlord. How do I know? Because most of my cherry kick booty deals in my career have come from burned out landlords. People, folks who have decided to do it themselves, they're the do it yourselfers, right? Because again, they think they're saving themselves money and they think that the only way to do it right is to do it yourself, right? Let me tell you something, dealing with tenants, dealing with all the drama with tenants, dealing with all the maintenance, all of that stuff, getting the 3 a.m. phone calls because somebody flushed something funky down the toilet, the toilet's backed up and they want you to fix it when? Now, <laughs> right? It's only a matter of time, folks, where you, you're just going to be over it. You're just going to be over it. You're going to become a burned out landlord. Then someone like me is going to come along and just take that property from you at a huge discount. Why? Because you're going to be motivated to get rid of it. So understand, I'm stressing, please don't make that mistake. Get a property manager. What are you looking for? You're looking for a property manager who's licensed. A licensed property manager. And again, you are going to ask for proof. Get the documentation. You're looking for a property management company who um, has, is managing at least 50 doors or 50 units. Either way, 50 units, 50 doors. Why? You don't want to use a, like a small mom and pop operation. This is a mistake I see a lot of investors make. They use a small time operation because they feel it's more personable, right? It's more friendly. They know each other by first name. That's all well and good, except, except and until that property management company gets too big and they don't have the infrastructure to keep up and everything starts slacking. And when that, what that really means to you is that you're going to end up losing money because they just don't have the bandwidth to take on that many units. Okay. I recommend you go with a larger company again, at least 50 units. Why? It means they have a system that they've put into place where they can handle large volumes. They can handle you know, taking on multiple properties and building and growing and expanding. Now it means that, you know, I can tell you right now, it means that they're not necessarily going to know you by first name. You're going to be known by your property address. How do I know? Because I used to be a property manager. I started and owned a property management company for four years. Okay. And I sold it to a large commercial management company. They came along, made me an offer. I couldn't refuse. (laughs) So I got rid of it. I can tell you, though, we were managing at our peak almost 500 units in addition to our own. What does that mean? It means that I did not know you by your first name. I knew you by your address. Who cares? 
You're not looking to be friends with your property manager. You just want to make sure they're doing a good job so you're making your money. That's all that matters, right? So at least 50 units is what you're looking for. You're looking for a company that's been around, again, full-time, five years. This just speaks to the, again, the established criteria, okay? The street cred, if you will. You want to ask them next, you want to ask them, what is their, do they have a territory and what is it, okay? Some property managers manage the entire city, whatever city it is. Some property managers only manage certain parts of the city and they all have their reasons as to why, whatever, okay? I just want to know what is your territory and what isn't. When I owned my property management company, I lived in the city of Detroit. I lived in Detroit, Michigan, okay? And that's where I owned my property management company. So my territory was the city of Detroit. Done, okay? So that's me. I know property managers who only do certain neighborhoods or do certain territories, whatever. Find out what that is and make sure it's a fit for what you're looking for, right? Next thing is you want to make sure they're a full-service property management company, which means they handle everything from beginning to end. Finding tenants, marketing for tenants, screening tenants, okay? Collecting rent, dealing with naughty tenant issues, as I lovingly put it, naughty tenants, (laughs) right? Um, They have a maintenance department, So anything that breaks, they've got maintenance guys and go fix it. And on that note, make sure they have a 24-hour emergency maintenance hotline. This is big. This is huge. Okay? Why? Well, it should be pretty obvious. Especially if you have rentals in parts of the country where it gets nasty cold in the wintertime. This becomes a big, big deal because what can happen, what can and will happen is only a matter of time. I can tell you this from experience. Even when you do everything right, things like pipes bursting, things like furnaces and boilers going out, those things will happen and they always happen right in the middle of winter. Even when you're keeping up on the properties, you're doing a good job, even when you've done everything right, guess what? It's going to happen. And I'll tell you right now, man, nothing ticks off a tenant more or causes and, I should say, and causes more trouble and headaches for you when a pipe bursts or a furnace goes out in the middle of February in Detroit, Michigan, where it's 25 degrees outside or less, and it takes one or two days for the tenant to get a hold of anybody to come out and fix it. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of HVAC and plumbing companies now that are 24 hours. Okay. Telling you right now, you need to have a property management company who is going to respond quickly to those issues. Because if you do not, or if they do not, you are going to have major issues, major headaches on your hands from that tenant. Okay. Now, if they tell you, here's a little side note, here's a little piece of bonus information, if you will. Um, Everyone likes a bonus, right? Uh, If they tell you that they have an emergency maintenance hotline, get the number and test it. 
How do I test it? Simple. Call them in the middle of the night. That's what I do. I'll set my alarm to wake myself up at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, one o'clock, whatever. And I'll call and I'll see what happens. Okay? Test it. I'm telling you, this is what you need. This this is the this is the type of in the trenches knowledge that you just won't get from textbooks. This is real life, right? On that same note, when you get to a point where you're buying apartment buildings, you're buying large multifamily, here's another little bonus tip. While you're in your due diligence period, check on the building. Do a drive-by at odd hours throughout the night. Okay, yes, you're going to get an inspection done. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about send somebody out there at 1 o'clock in the morning. Okay, if it's in your backyard, then you can do it. But I'm going to tell you, send somebody out there at 1 o'clock in the morning just to do a drive-by and see what you'll find. Oh, boy, because I'll tell you right now, oftentimes these buildings take on a whole different life (laughs) at night than during the day, right? I'm telling you, these are the little tips and techniques that I have learned over the years from my experiences in the trenches doing this business. And I am more than happy to pass on whatever knowledge I have on to you. Okay? So, that, so the emergency maintenance hotline. Next, evictions. I mean, heaven forbid if you have to evict a tenant, make sure that the property management company has an eviction service. Okay? On that same note, get a list of their services and their fees for each service. Find out what that is, okay? That's what you're looking for with your property management company. Now, finally, 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 and I'm I'm actually going to dedicate the next member of your team to its own episode altogether because it's that important, okay? The fifth member of your core team is going to be your money, your funding partner, your funding source, if you will. Okay, that is going to be the fifth member of your core team. And again, I'm actually going to dedicate an episode in and of itself to the funding. So I'm not going to go too much into it here. Go into and listen to the funding podcast um, that I that I put together so you can see what that or you can we can go through that step by step because there's so much to cover and it's that important. Okay. Now, eventually, you're going to be adding pieces to your team like a CPA, like a real estate attorney, like a bookkeeper. I mean, there's other pieces you're going to add in over time as you grow, build, and expand. No doubt. This is the core team that's going to get you making money sooner than later. And that is my goal for you as your host of Hardball Real Estate with JK. Okay, as your coach, your mentor, your whatever you want to call it, (laughs) right? I'm here to tell you, or my goal, my focus, and my emphasis is to get you making money in this business as quickly as possible. I want you to see success as quickly as possible. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. That is the power team. That is the team you're going to be putting together. And before I close out, where do we find this power team? Simple. 
You're going to tie into the local investor clubs. You're going to tie into the local real estate investor clubs of whatever market you're investing in. So that actually answers another question I get a lot. Jay, Jay, do I have one team and they just travel around the country doing the work? Or do you have a team in every market you invest in? Answer, I have a team in every market that I invest in. They are local. Okay. So how do I find them? I tie into the local real estate investor clubs. Every, every major city is going to have at least one or two major investment clubs. And what, you're going to, what you'll find there is you will find contractors. You will find wholesalers. You will find realtors. You will find money people. And you will find property managers all advertising their services there. That is where you will find them. And then from there, you're going to screen them right? You're going to screen them. How do you manage them? Okay. I'm going to tell you, it's just, it's all over the phone, text and email. I recommend at least once a week update calls, if not more, right? Depending on the project, depending on what you're working on and set, set a day and time each week for that update. Okay. That is your power team. That is the key, critical, crucial part of the success, the formula of success for this business. All right? Focus on this. Get this done because this will make or break you in this business. I don't know how else to say it. All right. Once again, thank you for tuning in. This is Hardball Real Estate with JK helping you hit home runs in your real estate business. Until next time.